And let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this holy night uh, and this holy week. And we ask uh, that tonight you would bring us into that upper room where you dined with your disciples and showed them uh, the true way uh, that we are to follow you in. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You can turn to John chapter 13 in your bulletins or Bibles. Um, Your bulletins say Matt Woodley, and Matt Woodley has COVID. So let's let's pray for his uh, swift healing, um, and uh, let's also dive into God's word together. We're going to look at John 13, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. I heard a statement in college that has stuck with me to this day, and it goes like this. My life is not made up of the dreams that I dream but of the choices that I make. My life is not made up of the dreams that I dream, but of the choices that I make. The Lord has honored each one of us by giving us choices to make. And he lets those choices have their consequence and, and, and uh, carry, carry out. Oftentimes, the Lord brings us to forks in the road where we have to choose, am I going to go this way or am I going to go that way? And those decisions end up making up our life. It's not what we dream about. It's what we choose. Who do do we choose to spend our time with, for instance? Or what do we choose to pay attention to? Whom do we marry? Where do we work? Where do we live? Um, The most important choice that any of us are ever going to make that's going to define our life Uh, And it's going to define our life to come. And that is, are we going to follow Jesus or not? And often it's not just, are we going to follow Jesus cognitively in our heads, but are we actually going to follow him in our choices, how we live our life and what we choose to love and happen to our hearts? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. We're going to look at three choices to follow Jesus. And the first choice that we're going to make as we see Jesus give an example for us that he intended to be followed forever, um, is the choice, uh, choosing forgiveness over resentment. Choosing forgiveness over resentment. Look with me at verses one and two. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And who did he love to the end? Well, verse 2, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Um, This is one of the people he loved to the end. Uh, And Jesus knew that this was happening in verse 21, which is not printed. But verse 21 of John 13 says, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, just imagine this, that... Your hour has come. It's time for you to enter into your death. You're in your final hours of life. And in the case of Jesus, it would be the final hours, your final meal as a free man before you're arrested, before there's a, a sham trial, before you're, you're stripped and beaten and put on a cross and uh, made a mockery of the entire world. And it's before all of that goes down. Um, You want your people with you in that hour. You want them to stand with you. You want to know that you can depend on them and that they're going to 
not abandon you in this hour. You've given them everything, and it's the last meal after three years of intensive time together. Yet, you know that one of the people that you love is going to betray you, and another person is going to deny you. Someone in your inner circle is going to deny you at the critical moment, and you know that, and you know that most of the people around the table are going to scatter and leave you in your hour of greatest need and vulnerability. So Jesus had a choice to make, and he could have chosen resentment in this moment because he knew, he knew everything. He knew where their hearts were at, and he could have chosen resentment. He could have held their future sins and their past sins, for that matter, against them in that moment. You know what? You traitors. You're a bunch of low lives. Why did I even pick you? Uh, I've given you everything. What are you going to do? You're going to betray me. You're going to deny me. You're going to run. Resentment is this reality when we allow anger to fester in our souls and just sort of stew inside grievances that we're carrying against someone else. You might picture anger as a uh, flame, that um, it's a quick flame and it, it gives us the impetus we need to take action on something really important. But unhealthy anger is when the quick flame becomes an often fed bonfire or like charcoal briquettes that we keep poking to keep the heat going. Um, but you know we're hoping that that fire hurts the person that we're angry with. But what actually ends up happening is that the bonfire cooks inside and hurts us the worst. Jesus did not choose resentment, even though he had reason to. Jesus chose to love his disciples to the very end. And this was a forgiving love. There's no way to love someone if you're not willing to forgive them their sins against you, their injustices against you. And so we don't see Jesus excusing the disciples' behavior. That's not forgiveness. Neither did Jesus seek out a false peace where he's sort of pretending everything's okay, like a false reconciliation. And in fact, at this meal, he named the sin outright, one of you is going to betray me, one of you is going to deny me. And nevertheless, he loved them to the end. In fact, he paid the cost of that betrayal. He paid the cost of that denial. He bore, he actually bore the penalty. He paid the cost on the cross. And that's true forgiveness. True forgiveness is bearing the cost of the injustice against you, not excusing the injustice, but bearing the cost rather than inflicting it on someone else. While also, even as you're bearing the cost, and this is why it's such hard work, you're cultivating a heart of mercy, a tender heart, an overflowing heart towards the offender. This is the way of Jesus. And it's also actually something that really contributes toward justice rather than takes away from it. This week, I read the story of a mother named uh, Marietta Jager. In 1994, um, Marietta Jager and her family were camping, and um, during that time, her daughter Susan was kidnapped out of their tent, and she was murdered. Uh, and not only that, but the killer evaded the police and got away. So, of course, Marietta was distraught, undone, beaten down, furious beyond words. 
And she came to the same fork in the road that our Lord came to on the night of his betrayal. And that is, am I going to go down the path of resentment, which is the default path, the, the wide path, you could say, or am I going down, going to down the road of forgiveness, which is the, the harder way, the higher way? And she actually chose every day of that year to go down the path of forgiveness, not excusing, uh, not denying, not pretending, but forgiving, which is, which is honest and hard and real. And uh, she worked on it every, every day, every month for an entire year. Now, on the anniversary of her daughter's murder, the phone rang. She picked it up, and it was the killer of her daughter. And he began to taunt her on the anniversary of his daughter's death, of her daughter's death. And she had, because she already had an overflowing heart of forgiveness, she said to him, how can I help you right now? And he was so taken aback by this act um, that he actually stayed on the phone long enough talking with her until the police were able to trace the call and they came to arrest him. He was brought in. He confessed to the murder. He confessed to several other murders. And he was prevented from uh, committing murders from then on out. But you see how um, Marietta's forgiveness actually contributed towards justice rather than taking away from it. And um, she actually was a, uh, a follower of Jesus. So in addition to Marietta's uh, heart being softened and changed um, and healed, not only was that happened, but justice was done. And to this day, do you know that Marietta goes and visits prison inmates to share the love of Christ with them? Um, you see, forgiveness and justice go together. And most of us have a lot less, you know, dramatic stories than Marietta's. Yet we all have people in our life who have done us harm, done us injustice. And we come to that same fork in the road, don't we? Am I going to forgive um, or am I going to hold resentments and grievances? And um, it's also a question of what legacy we want to leave. Because uh, grievances hold on for generations. And, and it's, grievances can spread like gangrene among peoples. Um, but so can forgiveness. And forgiveness can, can be passed on generation after generation, can be, be a legacy that you leave. And so we have a choice not just for our own hearts, but we have a choice for the impact of our life. Jesus gave us the legacy of forgiveness. We taste it whenever we come to his table. And uh, he loved us to the end too. He forgives us to the end. So that's the first choice we have to make, and it will be our life-defining choice, choosing forgiveness over resentment. The second choice is choosing trust over control. Let's read verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, verse 4 says he rose from supper, knowing all of those things. Jesus knew that the Father had a plan. And he trusted both God the Father as well as the plan that was being carried out. So um, though, his, uh, though his hands would be pierced, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things into his hands. Now, you're Jesus in that moment. How do you square that circle? 
My hands are going to be pierced, and yet all things are going to be put in my hands. Well, I guess there's going to be a plan involved where my hands are going to be both pierced and full of healing authority in this world. Um, Jesus knew that he would descend to the depths of death and darkness and just a hellish um, collection of murderous hate over his life. And, um, and yet he also knew that he would return to the Father. He knew that he was going to return to the Father. So in the greatest anguish of his life, when Jesus was most under threat, Jesus did not uh, choose control. He actually chose trust. He knew the Father had put all things in his hands. He knew he was returning to the Father, that he had come from the Father. And so he really did trust the Father with all of the outcomes of how this was going to work out. The trial was going to be unjust. Yes, trust the Father. He's got a plan. Um, he's going to, Jesus is going to get beaten tonight. Have you ever been beaten? Have you ever been whipped? Have you ever been mocked by soldiers? He's going to have all that happen to him. And yeah, the plan is still in place. He can still trust the father. Um, he's going to die. You know, you think about giving up control. What, what's more of a picture of giving up control than just, than actually giving up your life, giving up your consciousness? giving up all measure of any kind of bodily power. He's going to die, and yet there's still a plan, and he knows that it's going to happen. So he trusted the Father enough to simply, you know what? I'm just going to rise from supper, and I'm going to wash my disciples' feet. I've got a million things on my mind. I'm troubled, in fact. I'm holding the anxiety even I step into this next right thing I'm supposed to do. And so uh, Jesus does that. He doesn't try to control his disciples. He doesn't stand up and start berating them and manipulating them and using carrots and sticks to get them to, to like, not do the bad things that they're going to go ahead and do. Like, don't do it, guys. Come on, please. Don't betray me. Don't run from me. You're big boys. Come on, be mad. Come on. You know, no, he doesn't get in their business. He washes their feet. Um, now, each one of us is going to, again, we're going to have a moment like this in our life where our backs are going to be up against a wall, and it's going to look to us like God's plan for our life, you know, the plan, God's plan to prosper us and not to harm us, um, to, to bring us into his new creation, to fulfill all of his promises and those prophetic words people have spoken over you. It's like, what's happening now? You go, well, um, it may look like, Things are crumbling. Um, I feel the temptation to control people, places, and things. But I, I just need to carry out what God's asked me to do. And the outcomes aren't up to me, actually. Um, I read a book uh, recently that uh, this last year that I really liked, and um, it's written by Richard Stearns. Richard Stearns spent most of his career as a CEO um, and a Jesus follower. And so as a CEO, he... Uh, he was leading businesses, first in the business sector, uh, companies like Parker Brothers and uh, Lennox, which is a, a China company, um, sells flatware. And then he spent 20 years as CEO of World Vision, which um, provides uh, relief all over the world, you know, critical life-saving um, housing and food and water and security. And so um, in his book, he wrote a book called Lead Like It Matters to God, and he he lists all these 
leadership values, and one of his top leadership values is trust. Trust. He says that time and again, the Lord brought him to the end of himself in his leadership. And there would be all these people looking to him for the answers and the direction. And then and when he was leading World Vision, it was like thousands or even tens or hundreds of thousands of people whose lives would be impacted by his leadership. And so time and again, he came to these moments where he just said like, Lord, my back's up against the wall and I trust you. I just trust you. And there's no way through this. If you want me to keep leading, you've got to come through for me and you've got to, you've got to help. And so um, he learned how to just begin saying that over and over again, first in small ways, and then in the greatest leadership challenge of his life, which was leading world vision. Um, we don't have to be in Richard Stern's position or Jesus' position to have our backs up against a wall. All of us are going to have our backs up against a wall. Well, we have a choice. Am I going to grasp for control right now and engineer outcomes, or am I going to trust God and abandon outcomes to his plan and just do the next right thing? Jesus chose the way of trust in this critical moment. He trusted the Father. He trusted the Father's plan. And so what did he do? He rose from supper. He washed some feet. He went to the cross, and he left the rest up to God. Okay, final words. Father, what? Into your hands, I commit my spirit. Right, his final act of trust right there on the cross. And so what life outcomes are you tempted to engineer? What's the... What's the outcome that you really, really want, that you need to have happen, that you have to have happen? We can, we can pray, Father, into your hands, I commit this situation. I trust you. You have a plan. I've come from God. I'm going to God. He's going to fulfill every last promise he's made to me. So we pray, I trust you, God. Carry out your plan and just help me play my role. The outcomes are in your hands. So we're following the way of Jesus. There's these moments of choice, and we're choosing forgiveness over resentment. We're choosing trust over control. And finally, we're choosing service over status. We're choosing service over status. Verse 4 of John 13, Jesus rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus was not only the leader of this group, he was also the Lord of all the earth. He was the king of heaven, and he was the king of Israel. He had every right to demand that his disciples wash his feet, or that they arrange for the details for that project to happen. Um, Instead, Jesus laid aside the status that was rightfully his. He exchanged his respectable outer garment the the clothes of a teacher, um, for the towel of a slave. And then he got down on his knees, and and he scrubbed the smelly, stinky, dirty feet of his disciples. He washed every last foot, all 24 feet in that upper room. This was something that only a slave would do in his culture. Now, first was the action, and then later came the interpretation Verse 13 is the interpretation and following. You call me teacher and Lord, you're right to do so. 
that's who I am. So if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Okay, key moment, key time. Status or service. Jesus chose, uh, Jesus chose service, but he could have chose status. He had every single right. He had all the credentials. He had all the endorsements. Um, he had the ranking to go ahead and pull rank on his disciples, and he didn't pull rank. Um, he could have pulled rank after this moment, too. Pulled rank on Pilate. Pulled rank on the Sanhedrin. Pulled rank on Satan, for that matter. Called down the angels. I'm not going through the cross. I don't have to. He, didn't, he actually had the choice. He didn't have to do that. Um, yet choosing status in each one of those cases, from washing feet to going to the cross and everything in between, would have been to miss an opportunity to serve. He would have said, I'm not going to serve in that way. Sorry. And, um, but Jesus chose chose uh, to lay aside status and served out of love. He washed feet and he went to the cross and he's still serving us to this day as he intercedes for us at this very moment at the right hand of the Father. One author asks this question. If we contrasted a social worker who helps single parents feed and clothe their children on the one hand with a multimillionaire who is on television frequently who would contemporary people choose as the most admired and successful? Think about that. Who would our culture vote for as the successful person? He gives another contrast. Who is more admired? A professional athlete who wins championships, dominates the opposition, in other words, on the one hand, or a middle-aged person who walks with a limp, is not athletic, but gives anonymously to the poor on a consistent basis? Who do we admire more? Who do we give more attention to? Who do we want to be like? Power, he goes on to say this, power tends to win our admiration without our ever giving it much thought. And it's true. That's the waters we swim in. So each one of us as followers of Jesus is going to face a life-defining choice. Will I choose status or will I choose service? Will I pursue high-status personal connections or make myself available and helpful to people who have less power, less status, and less money than me? Will I spend my energy cultivating a persona or will I spend my energy making disciples of Jesus? Will I pull rank to get what I want, to get my way, or will I pull out the basin and the towel and serve my roommates, coworkers, kids, and family members? A lot of times we're going to have to choose one or the other. Um, and to just clarify the point, when we're choosing service, we're not choosing to get status from the service, or else we're not really choosing service, we're choosing status, and service is our way to get it. So some people uh, leave behind things like monuments, foundations, uh, personal fortunes, buildings named after them. And that is, that's not bad in and of itself. Um, but that's not what our Savior left behind. That was not his parting gift. He left behind his forgiving heart, his relaxed trust, and his service love. 
as well as everybody who bears that spirit in each generation. Our lives are not made up of the dreams that we dream, but the choices that we make. And uh, many of us have chosen resentment and control and status for too long. So ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart this night. Let's all do that. Do we have resentment towards a person? Do we have resentment towards a group of people? Well, ask the Lord to help us choose forgiveness. Are we trying to control a certain area of our life at home, work, school, or church? Ask the Lord to help us choose trust. Let's do that. Are we pursuing status in any way? Let's ask the Lord to help us choose service. Um, let's, let's just lay those down. All those things, we could just go right to the foot of the cross of Christ this Monday, Thursday. And we can then have a lighter load, and we can choose then to follow Jesus for the rest of our life. Uh, he's our leader, and he's our humble king. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.